This is Guns and Butter. There is no crime. You can talk to Russians. What the Democrats are doing is a reverse McCarthyism that's kind of shocking. And now suddenly Donald Trump is committing impeachable offenses, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, because he knew a few Russians. Um, it, there's no proof of collusion. Collusion isn't a crime. Uh, Trump is right. This has been a witch hunt. And now what you've seen is the exposure of the deep state in a series of criminal uh, political violations of law in order to use the justice apparatus of the United States government to make sure an opposition political candidate loses or is impeached, which is basically the definition of sedition, trying to overturn a legitimate election. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Today's show, FISAgate, Deep State Surveillance. Jerome Corsi is an investigative journalist and was a senior staff writer for several conservative websites. He is currently Washington, D.C. correspondent for InfoWars. A prolific author, his most recent book is Killing the Deep State. For 25 years, he worked with financial institutions, insurance companies, and mutual funds, specializing in the development of third-party marketing firms, working with banks to develop retail financial planning services. Today, we discuss President Trump's executive order of December 21, 2017, Eric Schmidt's resignation from Alphabet, the Nunes memo, the Pfizer surveillance warrant on Carter Page, Fusion GPS, ex-British spy Christopher Steele's dossier, Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian collusion, and Corsi's analysis of Q Anonymous. Today's interview is from February 12, 2018. Dr. Jerome Corsi, welcome. Great to be with you. Thank you. On December 21, 2017, President Trump signed an executive order blocking the property of persons involved in serious human rights abuse or corruption. I've heard very little about this executive order. What is this executive order about? What are its ramifications? Well, it was uh, an executive order that uh, really received very little public attention. Uh, I'll pull it up here on the computer and be able to you know, get you some more specifics on it. Uh, but it was um, signed you know, with very little fanfare. It specifically uh, blocked, it was order blocking uh, the property of persons involved in serious human rights abuse or corruption. It was, um, it gave the president the ability to instruct the Department of Treasury to confiscate uh, the holdings of people who were involved in serious human rights abuse or corruption, and it wasn't limited to uh, people, uh, foreigners. It was part of the, it could be foreigners, it could be someone in the United States, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it was really out of the this global uh, Magnitsky human rights accountability law, which was a key to it. Uh, but in the process of the uh, declaration, down in the body of it, which most people missed, um, not only did it say the Secretary of Treasury could 
confiscate the property of these people, property in, in terms of the United States, but it said that the uh, president was hereby declaring a state of emergency existed over these issues. Now, that, that was, I think, also one of the startling uh, parts of this. Uh, I'm going to get that exact clause right here. Just type it. Here we typing a little bit, but um, here we are. It said, um, President Trump said, I therefore um, determined that serious human rights abuse and corruption around the world constitute an unusual and an extraordinary threat to national security, foreign policy, and the economy of the United States. And I hereby declare an emergency to deal with that threat. Now, the emergency you know, is essentially that all the property and interests in the United States or that are come to be in the United States, the people were listed in an annex of this order that the Treasury puts out, and the Treasury can add to this annex as new people are determined. The people who were initially listed were all foreigners. Uh, the, the Treasury can, once the president agrees that the, these people should be on the list, uh, the Treasury can confiscate all their U.S. holdings. Now, I mean, that's a fairly dramatic step to be able to take, um, and it indicates that I think President Trump is viewing that the human trafficking and the other abuses, kidnapping of children and the like, uh, are something he's going to deal with uh, in this administration. Uh, and extraordinary powers, including perhaps even military powers, may be needed ultimately to deal with these kinds of issues. Now, the importance of this, I believe, in terms of working out the essentially coup d'etat that have been going on by the uh, Democrats with, uh, I believe, the deep state, CIA involvement, Department of Justice, FBI, to deny Trump the presidency on this Russian collusion um, narrative, which has so far lacked any real proof. Nobody's been indicted for it, despite months of the special counsel are having investigations. Uh, so essentially, this executive order, I believe, is going to be part of the counterattack that President Trump is going to launch when um, probably now underway, as we see with the Nunes memo coming out, uh, redirected attention to the corruption within the FBI and the DOJ that led to this investigation, with certain officers there clearly so anti-Trump that they were determined to take any steps they necessary to deny Trump the um, ability to be president. So I think we're in the middle of a you know, beginning of essentially a great conflict in which the first attack, Mueller's attack to convict uh, key people in the Trump administration of colluding with the Russians has failed. And that is not going to be a charge or a narrative on which President Trump is going to be removed from office. And now we're into the second phase, which is uh, Trump is getting ready to hit back, counterattack. On the same day as President Trump's executive order, uh, December 21st, 2017, Eric Schmidt announced he would be stepping down as the executive chairman of Alphabet, the holding company for Google. A lot of people are connecting these two events. Is there a connection? And if so, what is it? Well, I think there must be some connection in the sense it happened so dramatically. Um, I mean, of course, there could be two unrelated events. 
But there was no reason why uh, Eric Schmidt should suddenly step down from Alphabet. Uh, the indications are, and as I did the research on it, and, and again, QAnon said that there were. This is the intelligence source that uh, everybody has been, you know, increasingly trying to decide is real, not real. Uh, I've been following QAnon since about Christmas time, and I'm pretty convinced that this is an. an military intelligence source that is working closely with the president and we are getting information from QAnon that we wouldn't be otherwise getting. Um, pointed to look at the connections between Eric Schmidt and the the entire Russian narrative. Now, Eric Schmidt, first of all, um, was one of Hillary Clinton's main supporters. He wanted to, and he professed that he wanted to be her chief outside advisor. We know this from the WikiLeaks emails that were published, stolen from the Democratic National Party and published, where one of them and Eric Schmidt is making this offer. Eric Schmidt was one of the main contributors to Hillary Clinton's campaign, uh, both to the DNC and to the Democratic National Committee, that is, and to Hillary's campaign itself. But when it came to the Russian uh, narrative, Russian collusion narrative, the DNC emails were taken, and then right after that, uh, Eric Schmidt got uh, this crowd um, source in to look to see what the, you know, who did the break-in to steal the emails. That's a that's a group that had been funded by a hundred million dollars by Eric Schmidt, and they were the first to go in and look at the DNC email theft and say it was Russians because there was this metadata that said Cozy Bear and Fuzzy Bear, which were evidently signatures of uh, Russian hacking. Um, what happened is that as that narrative developed, real technical analyses were done to show that the length of time in which the DNC computers had been breached and the nature of the attack, it had to have come from within. Someone basically putting in a device and a computer and downloading all of these emails and the fingers started pointing to Seth Rich. Now, once the this narrative from crowdsource started faltering, uh, Eric Schmidt got very interested in starting to fund through Hillary and the DNC uh, this Fusion GPS dossier from Christopher Steele, which we heard so much about lately. And it, it was basically started as opposition research. First, I believe it was started funded by some Republicans who wanted to prevent Trump from getting the nomination. And it was clear Trump was going to get the nomination. It was picked up by Hillary. And again, Hillary and the DNC funded this, I'm sure, with some of the money given from Eric Schmidt, you know, that whole pool of money. And it was, was filtered through Perkins Coy, the attorneys, to pay uh, Fusion GPS, an opposition research firm who hired Christopher Steele, uh, a British intelligence agent who formerly had been with M1 and uh, manned the Russian desk to put this dossier together. So Eric Schmidt's you know, fingerprints were all over this Russian collusion um, narrative. Now, how that plays out and how it did ultimately play out you know, it seemed that Eric Schmidt also was involved in SpaceX. Uh, clearly, Eric Schmidt, with Google and the like, has been uh, filtering and censoring 
conservatives and libertarians and has been, um, for his leftist views, uh, very intolerant of others who have other views. He's been very much of a partisan and his support of Hillary Clinton was, uh, you know, made him a partisan without doubt. So this all this all comes to be. I think that he may have said, you know, I certainly don't want my money being confiscated, and um, that could have been a reason. Now that's all speculating at this point. I mean, I, I can't prove any of that, but it's consistent with what QAnon was suggesting was behind the scenes, and it um, it, it might in fact, explain why he did resign so quickly from Alphabet. A House Intelligence Committee report made public on February 2nd, 2018, popularly referred to as the Nunes Memo, which you've mentioned, uh, after the committee chair, California Republican Devin Nunes, is a four-page memo detailing the application by the FBI and the Department of Justice to obtain surveillance warrants from the secret foreign intelligence surveillance court to spy on Trump campaign aide Carter Page. I understand that this surveillance warrant allowed the surveillance of everyone that Carter Page came in contact with, including Donald Trump. Bottom line is that this FISA court warrant allowed the FBI and the DOJ to wiretap pretty much everyone in the Trump campaign. In other words, the U.S. government was taking sides in the presidential election. Do you think that this is fair to say? I think it is. I mean, just let me break down and kind of decode some of this and you know, get it into pieces that need to be understood. Uh, first of all, the Fusion GPS uh, dossier done by Christopher Steele was... Uh, Ridiculous! It was out. It was outlandish. It could not be validated. It was pretty clear to anybody seriously looking at it that it had no basis in fact. Uh, Christopher Steele largely just went to whatever Russian sources and picked up whatever dirt he could, true or not. And it looks like um, now Sid Blumenthal, one of the notorious hatchet men that Hillary has used her entire career, also contributed information which worked its way into this uh, Fusion GPS dossier. Now, that was the one of the bases. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily the only basis, but certainly a, a key basis, and certainly one that the Republicans in the House Intelligence Committee have contested that um, uh, Andrew McCabe, number two, in the, the, number two in the FBI, had said was critical, without which they would not have gotten the FISA, a, approval to do the electronic surveillance on Trump. So these FBI and DOJ officials took a document they knew to be less than trustworthy and presented it to a FISA court as the basis for getting permission to do electronic surveillance on U.S. citizens. And the whole reason the FISA court exists is because it's against the law for the NSA or the CIA to do electronic surveillance on U.S. citizens unless a citizen's involved, let's say, in a contact with a foreign national and a crime is being committed. Uh, and that's found out and the FISA court will give limited authority to target that person. In this case, uh, Carter Page. 
I'm speaking with investigative journalist and author Dr. Jerome Corsi. Today's show, FISAgate, Deep State Surveillance. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Carter Page, it turns out, had been an, an undercover um, FBI agent and had been involved in these kinds of Russian uh, entrapment schemes previously for the FBI. That was not disclosed. Uh, he also appears to have been a Democrat who played a role in the uh, Clinton administration. That was not disclosed. All of this seems like Carter Page could easily have been a plant where the FBI said, why don't you go get associated with the uh, Trump campaign, start talking about Russia, and then we'll create the Russian collusion we're trying to prove exists. So when Carter Page talked to people and emailed and telephoned them on the, uh, on the Trump campaign, they became collateral, the second ring of the people the FBI began monitoring. And it could have gone out from there to include others. Ultimately, you could have had you know, dozens or more people who were under electronic surveillance under this one FISA order. Uh, and they're supposed to be masked. They're supposed to have their names, you know, the second and third levels of collateral electronic surveillance supposed to be person A, person B, person C, so that their identities are preserved and their rights under the Fourth Amendment are not sacrificed uh, just simply because they got caught up talking to somebody who was a target of a FISA court surveillance. So this information then goes over to the White House. The White House gets this information. And the White House is very interested in tracking what's happening with Trump's campaign. We know from uh, messages exchanged between two of the, between the, this uh, Peter Strozik and Lisa um, Page within the FBI that Obama wanted to know everything. So the White House gets this information from electronic surveillance and they unmask the names. So now they identify the people on the Trump campaign who are saying these various things to Carter Page and to each other. And then that information leaked to the press. Now, there are so many violations of law here, you know, to start with, as an officer of the court, you can't take a lying document as the basis for your asking the court for permission to do something as like a search and seizure under the Fourth Amendment. And then this whole plan or scheme to entrap uh, the campaign into a Russian discussion uh, when maybe no Russian collusion was going on until Carter Page showed up. These are all significant violations and significant problems. Now, as this all goes along, you get then to the next level of unmasking it and releasing all this information to the press, and you've created further Fourth Amendment violations. So, you know, when you get down to the bottom of it, you have a deep, hardened, very politicized, weaponized Department of Justice and uh, FBI, who is determined that Donald Trump's never going to be president. And they start out on this Russian theme um, to, during the campaign, hopefully they want to prevent Trump from being president. That's their plan. If he should win, then they're going to use this Russian theme to either deny him being inaugurated or to 
uh, get him impeached after he is inaugurated. And all of this is based on scheming, lying, breaking the rules, and for politically having a Department of Justice and FBI controlled by extreme left politicians, Obama and Clinton, who end up putting the opposition candidate for president under electronic surveillance during the campaign, during the transition, and it looks like six months into the presidency. They were still conducting electronic surveillance of Donald Trump and those associated with Donald Trump, which is outrageous. It sounds like a you know banana republic where the one party weaponizes the justice system and the federal government to uh, look for crimes in the opposition candidate to make sure that they don't lose the election. Let's go into how the, this FISA surveillance warrant was obtained. Was the evidence used to obtain the warrant fraudulent? What was the evidence presented to the FISA court, namely the Steele dossier? What did it say? Well, it, it, it was considered to be fraudulent and scurrilous. They couldn't validate it. Um, Comey even briefed President Trump about it and said that it was not verifiable. But yet the FBI and Department of Justice took this, took this Fusion GPS uh, dossier to the FISA court and made it part of their argument. We don't know how much of the argument until we see the actual uh, petitions that the, the Department of Justice and FBI made to the FISA court to obtain these warrants to do electronic surveillance. Those are right now classified. My guess is they're going to have to be unclassified and shown to the American public. But if, if that FISA GPS document was used at all, it completely compromises uh, the entire process of getting electronic surveillance, which in turn, if that evidence was used at all, which it was, in uh, Mueller's special prosecutor investigations, uh, I'd think that you could have uh, the indictments on uh, General Flynn and the indictments on Paul Manafort and Rick Gates thrown out of court under the Fourth Amendment uh, doctrine of the fruit of the poisonous tree, because this information is tainting, you know, fraudulently obtaining a FISA warrant approval to do the electronic surveillance and then using that as part of the case development taints the whole case, even if you have other evidence. The Washington, D.C. political opposition research firm Fusion GPS, which you've mentioned, was originally hired by a wealthy Republican donor to compile opposition research on Donald Trump and was subsequently hired by the DNC in the Clinton campaign for the same information. The company retained ex-British intelligence officer Christopher Steele, which we've been talking about, who produced a 35-page dossier. It has now been revealed that the FBI also paid for the same so-called research. Is that right? It seems to be right so far. I mean, I think it started with um, a wealthy donor to maybe uh, Jeb Bush's campaign or Rubio's campaign. Uh, looking for dirt on Trump, and they probably paid Fusion GPS and, you know, get me dirt on Trump. Um, and when it was clear that Trump was going to win the nomination anyway, uh, this Fusion GPS 
kind of went into limbo. No, the Republican donor wasn't going to pay for it anymore. And Hillary became aware of it. And um, Hillary, I think, saw it as a way of reviving this Russian narrative that was flagging because CrowdSource couldn't prove definitively that the Russians had hacked the DNC. It was pretty good evidence. And uh, Julian Assange at WikiLeaks was saying, strongly suggesting it was Seth Rich who gave him the data. And that's consistent with what you know, the analysts looking into and understanding how computers work have analyzed with the metadata that does exist uh, as the way, in fact, the emails were stolen as a leak from inside. Somebody putting a device into a computer and downloading very quickly um, all these emails, not hacking them over a long period of time from a distance. So, you know, when Fusion GPS starts getting paid for by the Democrats, now the Democrats own it. The Hillary and the DNC own it, and they're directing it. Well, they get it into the FBI, and the FBI said, we've been looking for something, too. You know, we want to go, we want to make sure Trump doesn't win or it can get impeached. And this looks kind of interesting. So we'll pay for it, too. And all the all along, if, if you read the document, the, the claims, you know, sexual claims, which are pretty much preposterous. I mean, Putin said of of this whole dossier, he said, well, I'm, I'm glad Donald Trump. He must be a highly intelligent gentleman because he understands that Russian prostitutes are the best. So he came over here to enjoy our more proficient Russian prostitutes, making a joke of the whole thing. I mean, if Donald Trump you know, wants prostitutes, he doesn't have to fly to Russia to get them. Uh, and that's basically what Putin was saying. And these claims, all the other claims in the dossier are equally preposterous in terms of the contacts Trump was making to do business or to, you know, Trump has had business relations in uh, Russia for decades, but it's not a crime to have business relationships in Russia. And none of this information, even if pieces of it were partially true, it did anything to suggest that Trump had a plan with Russia where Russia was going to go steal these emails and then give them to WikiLeaks so Trump would win. Uh, the, the reason those emails, the DNC and Podesta, were so damaging to Hillary was because of the damaging information Hillary and Podesta wrote on those emails to start with, not thinking anyone was ever going to read them. And the critical damaging part, I think, that turned Seth Rich against Hillary was that these emails made it clear that Hillary and the Democratic National Convention rigged the primaries so... Hillary would win and Sanders would lose, Bernie Sanders. Uh, and that was the damaging information, uh, not any collusion that Trump had. There's no crime Russian collusion. That's the, that's the fundamental silliness of this entire thing. There is no crime. You can talk to Russians. What the Democrats are doing is a reverse McCarthyism that's kind of shocking because since the revolution and Russia, it's been the left that has rushed over there to praise Stalin, despite millions of people being killed by communism, excused by the left. And now suddenly Donald Trump is committing impeachable offenses, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, because he knew a few Russians. 
Um, it, there's no proof of collusion. Collusion isn't a crime. Uh, Trump is right. This has been a witch hunt. And now what you've seen is the exposure of the deep state in a series of criminal uh, political violations of law in order to use the justice apparatus of the United States government to make sure an opposition political candidate loses or is impeached, which is basically the definition of sedition, trying to overturn a legitimate election. And these people, including all the way up to Obama, I think now in the second phase where Trump's counterattack has begun, are realizing that they face serious charges here um, of the highest nature. And that I believe Donald Trump is putting in mechanism and putting in place what it's going to take to clean out the swamp of this deep state, including coming indictments and prosecutions against a score of people uh, in the justice apparatus and perhaps even in the White House and perhaps even in the Democratic National Party. Everyone from Barack Obama to Debbie Wasserman Schultz ought to lawyer up. I'm speaking with investigative journalist and author Dr. Jerome Corsi. Today's show, FISAgate, Deep State Surveillance. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. The members of the FBI and the Department of Justice who signed off on the surveillance warrant and its extensions were FBI head James Comey, Andrew McCabe, who headed the FBI's investigation into the Hillary Clinton email servers, and Sally Yates, Dana Boenti, and Rod Rosenstein of the Department of Justice. Comey was fired by Trump, and now McCabe has resigned from the FBI. This leaves the Department of Justice. If the evidence presented for the surveillance warrants was misrepresented, does this mean that the DOJ signers of the application will be resigning or fired? Or indicted, yes, because these are crimes. You're not allowed as a representative of the court, which you are as an attorney, to go in and uh, abuse that privilege by misrepresenting uh, critical facts to the judge. So knowing that the Fusion GPS was opposition research and not fully disclosing that, knowing that it had not been validated or verified, that the claims were outrageous and uh, had no proven independent verification by FBI or Department of Justice research, and not making that abundantly clear to the judge um, is, I think, a serious violation, especially when the consequences are that a U.S. citizen has their Fourth Amendment rights violated by being under electronic surveillance. And the, the web extends to those they're in collateral contact with. Deputy Attorney General for the Department of Justice Rod Rosenstein recommended Trump fire FBI head James Comey, which Trump did. Because Attorney General Jeff Sessions had recused himself from the Russiagate investigation, this allowed Rod Rosenstein to appoint former FBI head Robert Mueller as special prosecutor to go after Trump and his team for collusion with the Russians. What has Mueller's investigation accomplished so far? Well, Mueller's investigation so far has accomplished 
very little. Um, General Flynn has been uh, indicted for lying to the FBI, uh, which, you know, is unfortunately easy to do when you're being interrogated and you're not used to being interrogated. If you slip or if you make one extra statement, um, these are the kinds of violations that they can charge you for technically, uh, still a felony, uh, but it's not at the heart of Russian collusion. And uh, Paul Manafort and Rick Gates have been indicted for what amounts to an allegation of money laundering in terms of all these kind of shell corporations that were created offshore to receive fees that they appear to have been owed for work they did in the Ukraine. Uh, again, this is not related to Russian collusion for the election. There may have been some criminal violations there, but they had never been detected by the IRS. They had never been found to be objectionable until Mueller began his special prosecutor investigation. And the indictment has nothing to do with Russian collusion. So, so far, Mueller's been a total flop. And well, it would appear to be that it would appear to me to be a flop because, again, as I say, there isn't a crime Russian collusion. And that there's no evidence that it would be meaningful. I mean, if the idea that Trump colluded with Russia to get these emails is, you know, first of all, the Donald Trump campaign was not a very organized campaign to begin with. It was small. It was, you know, like many campaigns, chaotic. I don't think they could have colluded among themselves to do anything. That was part of the problem. They had three campaign managers. They had to continually work and struggle to keep the campaign on message. Yeah, the campaign, from looked at from a certain perspective, was a train wreck. They weren't colluding with anybody. And the idea that they had a sophisticated plan with Russian operatives to steal the Democratic Party's emails, knowing that they would be detrimental to Hillary, I mean, how would anybody know those emails wouldn't have just glorified Hillary if, if Podesta and Hillary hadn't written such trash about each other and everybody else in the Democratic Party? Those emails would not have been damaging to be revealed. Trump didn't write those emails. He didn't know what was in them. He had no reason to go after them. It, it, the whole thing is preposterous. Uh, and the idea that we want to criminalize dealing with Russians coming from the Democratic Party after anyone who lived through the 1950s is so preposterous, you think the Democratic Party's lost its mind. Because the Democratic Party's always been about embracing the left, progressivism, and had about a 1917 gushed over the Russian Revolution until, of course, Stalin killed 30 or 40 million people. And do you think that there's a an inherent contradiction for Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to suggest to Trump to fire Comey and then turn around and hire Robert Mueller as a special prosecutor to go after Trump for Russian collusion? Well, I mean, the, the whole thing is pretty preposterous. First of all, um, Mueller gets presented as if he's, you know, Mr. Mr. Clean. Yeah. Uh, Rosenstein goes back to having participated as an attorney on the Whitewater investigation, 
no charges were filed, even though now from the files, we see again it was a political fix because the Department of Justice and the FBI believed there were crimes. They were already writing an indictment until they were blocked. Uh, Mueller uh, played a role. I, I think the I think the real vulnerability of Mueller is the Uranium One deal because that was a huge scandal, still is, with Hillary Clinton receiving, as Peter Schweitzer points out, up to uh, maybe $147 million in the Clinton Foundation. Charles Ortel has done good work on it. I wrote a chapter in my book, Partners in Crime, on the Uranium One scandal, pay to play uh, for the Clintons, ultimately with this entrepreneur in Canada, Frank Justra. Uh, getting the uranium rights in Kazakhstan, and then the United States, Russia comes in, wants to buy uranium one. The CFIUS committee um, rubber stamps it, which is the committee created by Treasury to look at foreign investments in the United States. And Robert Mueller is running an investigation, the FBI, when the FBI knows there's a massive bribery scandal where the Russians are trying to bribe people in the uranium industry, and he doesn't let that information go to the CFIUS um, committee members, which, if they'd known it, would have been probably very reluctant to let Russia take over Uranium One with Rose Adam. Uh, Mueller also played a major cover-up role, I believe, in the HSBC money laundering case, uh, along with Loretta Lynch, uh, I helped uncover that case when a uh, branch manager from HSBC in Long Island brought me about a thousand pages and showed me how the money was being laundered through counts in those branches out in Long Island. I wrote about it, worked with the Permanent Senate Investigating Committee and with the Department of Homeland Security. Loretta Lynch gave, gave HSBC with Robert Mueller, you know, heading the FBI a $1.9 billion fine, which was about, you know, cost of business fine, didn't really hurt HSBC, no criminal prosecutions. And what Mueller, Loretta Lynch, and um, Obama are covering up was the fact that the you know, CIA is deeply involved in the drug trade and that it was known that the money was being laundered. You can't launder billions of dollars through a bank like HSBC and not have it be observed by one of the regulators is supposed to be, you know, watchdogging these banks, controller of the currency, the, you know, the, the bank, various bank regulators, uh, the Department of Justice, all of the miss massive terrorist and um, drug money laundering. I don't think so. So Mueller ought to come back and answer some questions on that. And I think the Uranium One has the potential to put Mueller under investigation himself. And the moment that happens, I think he'll have to resign. Robert Mueller was sworn in as director of the FBI seven days before September 11, 2001, not resigning until 2014. Mueller headed up the FBI during and after 9-11 and the anthrax attacks. How would you evaluate Mueller's performance as FBI head and what do we know about Robert Mueller? Well, I, what we know about Robert Mueller is that everywhere back to the Mark Rich Parton, he's been a Clinton cover-up deep state artist. And he's done the dirty work for the deep state to, you know, bury and end investigations and lie uh, over any number of investigations, including 9-11. You know, we, we 
get bits and pieces that come out that should have been investigated. What are the all these Saudis doing with the Bushes getting flown out of the country? Michael Moore was right about that. What about these buildings falling down that weren't part of the initial plane attack? Why did these buildings fall down? You know, what, what the, the entire launching into a war on terror uh, depends on the official explanation of 9-11 not being challenged. And anybody who does challenge it being considered, again, a, a conspiracy theorist, nut. Uh, and it goes on and on from there with a, with a list of investigations and uh, issues that Mueller, I believe, could have brought forward, should have brought forward, and basically chose to go along with the deep state and cover up. The FBI under Obama, especially, but Clinton, uh, even to some extent Trump, Bush did nothing to clean it up. But under Obama, there was a heavy overdrive to make the FBI and the DOJ a politically charged, weaponized group that went after you if you were conservative or libertarian and gave you a pass. Hillary Clinton could run a foundation that was, you know, a, a disgrace, crooked, a criminal enterprise. The accounting is terrible. Charles Ortel has done brilliant work on that. Peter Schweitzer, I've tried to bring it to the public's attention. that This is not a charity. It's a disgrace. It's a criminal operation. Uh, all the filings are wrong. Uh, firms, including Price Waterhouse, who did their accounting of criminal, I believe, liabilities, if someone would only legitimately investigate it. Uh, the emails, we know there was, you know, all of these things were covered up and continue to be covered up uh, within an FBI and DOJ that serves Democrats and get away with anything. I'm speaking with investigative journalist and author, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Today's show, FISAgate, Deep State Surveillance. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. When Hillary Clinton gave her concession speech the morning after the presidential election, both she and Bill Clinton were wearing matching colors of deep purple. It looked very obvious that they were announcing a color revolution here in the U.S. against President-elect Donald Trump. Both the Clintons and the Bushes are publicly opposed to the presidency of Donald Trump. The FBI and the Department of Justice have played significant roles in the attempt to take down the president, which you've been discussing. Has the CIA played a role in what we might call this attempted coup d'etat? I think the CIA is probably the major culprit in many ways. I mean, the CIA, I think, has penetrated the Department of Justice, the FBI, the Obama White House, um, the IRS, uh, I think, in the State Department. While the CIA is building its own massive surveillance system with the these computers they call Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which are rivals to the NSA. And the CIA goes into a war wanting to put the NSA out of business. The whole thing is rotten to the core. I mean, Jack Kennedy was right when he said he should have uh, broken up the uh, uh, CIA into a thousand pieces after it lied to him both on the uh, Bay of Pigs and on the Cuban Missile Crisis. Kennedy's mistake is he didn't do it that day. And, you know, the CIA has been a nefarious, secretive arm of our government, which has been running drugs of the drug war. 
uh, since before the CIA was created and the precedent organization, the OSS. And I can recommend you a dozen good books on that subject, including Doug Valentine's excellent work, which documents it, uh, plus, you know, uh, dozens of other books and committee hearings, which validate it. Going back to the church committee, uh, the CIA's intrusion into uh, massive electronic surveillance of the population was made abundantly clear. And none of the reforms have done anything to stop the CIA. CIA has been wildly out of control. And I believe now has reached the point where, unfortunately, it's become a criminal organization. A lot of people voted for Trump because they were against the foreign wars, the 9-11 wars, and Hillary Clinton was clearly the war candidate, calling Vladimir Putin Hitler, etc. Trump wanted good relations with Russia, for instance. Is the Trump presidency in jeopardy of being overtaken by Zionist neocons who want endless war? What is your assessment? I think think Trump is... um much more in line with an ambassador named Matlock, who um, professed for decades the um, need to talk with Russia and to China, that these were going to be three major states, each was going to have its sphere of influence. We really truly weren't going to go to a thermonuclear war over some Eastern European country that Americans basically don't know how to say or spell the name correctly. And each of these three superpowers are going to have to contend with the other two. And that's only going to be done in conversation. One of the things that Jack Kennedy learned in the Cuban Missile Crisis was that the military and the CIA, represented by people like Curtis LeMay, wanted war, wanted even thermonuclear war, so that they could win it. Kennedy's listening to it. The tapes are available. Go listen to them in the National Archives. I've listened to a lot of them, and it's, it's shocking the extent to which the military wants to go to war. Kennedy finally figured out, he bypassed the military and the CIA, and he started communicating with Khrushchev directly over this you know, special teletype system they had in place in 1960, 1962. And when Kennedy came out of it, he gave a speech at the American University, which maybe was his best speech of his entire presidency, in which he said the Russians are like us, they want to grow old and die in their beds surrounded by their families. So that we don't really have any need or any reason to go to a thermonuclear war with Russia. We don't need massive numbers of nuclear weapons. Kennedy began pursuing nuclear disarmament and began reducing the numbers of weapons in place and dealing directly with Khrushchev. I think these were part of the element. Kennedy saw did not want globalism uh, did not want central bankers. He was he was printing his own money through the treasury. Uh, understood the Rothschilds and you know the, the central bankers were happy to throw the world into World War One and World War Two while they made the money on the munitions and the interest financing the munitions. Uh, all these globalist schemes, I think, with Trump, uh, Brexit, uh, the New World Order, uh, the European Union. The North America trade going into a North American Union, the Security and Prosperity Partnership in North America that George Bush professed. I think Americans are seeing through all of this, and the world hopefully will, uh, to reject this 
globalist, basically evil idea of the future and get back to what the Constitution was about, was that we the people are sovereign and we don't need these globalists and central bankers to tell us how to live. What can you tell us generally about the phenomenon of Q or QAnon? What is QAnon? Well, it's Q anonymous, and the anonymous are on the deep bulletin board part of the internet called the Chan, C H A N. A Chan is a very um, difficult to navigate bulletin board and a very kind of robust atmosphere where people are sharp with each other and it's it's very brilliant researchers are on this as well as people who are trolling it um and it's an aggressively hotly debated environment um and produce some very interesting information it, it's very much like um the first american revolution the pamphleteers you know thomas paine wrote uh, common sense not using his own name and these were widely read and 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 upped the um, awareness American people of the uh, oppression of Great Britain that led ultimately to the Revolutionary War. So, too, you've got today Q, which is one of the highest levels of intelligence is Q-level clearance, um, began posting in October, and I watched it um, pretty much from a distance. Uh, around December, some of very serious people began inviting me, saying, you really need to pay attention to this. We want you to do this. And as I got into it, I began to realize that um, what Q was saying and how he said it really sounded a lot like military intelligence. And I've got a pretty good idea who is doing, who's organized the Q posts. Uh, But the information that is being given has two characteristics of it, uh, which are very important. It, it's not always 100% right, but then intelligence is not always 100% right. But it has the ability to disclose in advance events that are going to happen later. Um, the most recent example that I can think of was that about three weeks before the Nunes uh, memo was released, and it was a highly classified document until it was declassified by the president. Um, the Q said this memo is going to show the Fusion GPS was used as the basis to obtain the FISA court approvals of electronic surveillance of Donald Trump's political campaign. And that turned out to be the core of what the document was about. And then Q said it will be game-changing. This will be, the narrative is going to shift as soon as this is published. Now, that was done a week ago, was dropped publicly, the Nunes memo, a week ago Friday, and the narrative has dramatically shifted to a a focus on improprieties within the Department of Justice uh, and the FBI in pursuing this vengeance campaign to make sure Donald Trump never got elected, or if he did get elected, that he got impeached, uh, which the FBI and the DOJ are not empowered by law to make that kind of a judgment and act upon it. There's not supposed to be political organizations. And what we've found since the Nunes memo has been dropped, including from Senator Grassley's Judiciary Committee uh, and others, um, we are finding through Congress 
shocking revelations uh, on the way the um, Democratic National Committee, the Obama administration at the highest levels, including the president, politicized DOJ and weaponized it uh, and the FBI. And this is going to have massive ramifications. So Q saw that in advance, telegraphed it, and then was able to analyze it as it was proceeding in a way that forced everybody following Q to make connections and associations in advance of them becoming public. And that's basically what good intelligence does. I mean, I I had um, top secret clearance in the 80s when I worked with university programs with the State Department on anti-terrorism. And um, good intelligence has these characteristics of being able to lead higher level thinking to formulate decisions that need to be made. I'd say Q is um, similar to the sources, the multiple sources that were deep throat uh, for um, you know the Watergate investigation. And there was not one deep throat. That was a movie invention. There were several. And um, the Q source today is like a public version. You can find it, read it, track it. Uh, I'm writing about it on my um, Twitter account uh, and on my YouTube account. Both have a lot of information, Jerome.Corsi and Twitter, and J-R-L-C-O-R-S-I is my you know, initials, J-R-L-C-O-R-S-I for YouTube. Um, but the point is, this is, I think, the, the most extensive sharing of military intelligence not tactical military intelligence, but political military intelligence done by someone trained in how the military does intelligence, which is different than the way the CIA does intelligence, different from the way the State Department does intelligence. And with experience, you can begin to distinguish them and pretty reliably figure out where the intelligence is coming from. And I think it's proving to be highly uh, both provocative and reliable, and it's getting to be followed by millions of people. Well, now the Q posts are written in code, aren't they? I mean, they're not easily decipherable. Well, I've been decoding them. Uh, You have to think about them. Good intelligence is often, when you're reading it, it looks a lot like code. It it is um, putting pieces together. Now, if you understand the references, uh, the code is fairly transparent, pretty easy to read. But if you're new at it and don't understand the references, it, it looks like it's you know some kind of a puzzle. You have to you know, work to decipher. Um, there's some cryptic elements to it, but once you get the patterns down and know the references and how, what they they mean, um, then the deciphering it uh, is a lot easier. I've been spending time as the Q posts come out working with this uh, group of anonymous that created what they call the calm before the storm. It's uh, on Twitter. They're at CBTS underscore stream. It has been 24 hour coverage of the QAnon on YouTube with this CBTS underscore stream uh, live chat that gets participated in by maybe up to eight or 10,000 people when there are new Q posts to evaluate. And if somebody wants to follow Q, how would they do it? 
Well, I'd say I've always linked, continue to link both on my Twitter account and on YouTube to there's one or two sites that list all of Q's posts. Then there's various interpretations, I think, which are extremely worthwhile following. Uh, my Twitter account, I try to keep up with it on a continuing basis. That's drum.coursey. Uh, my YouTube, uh, J-R-L-C-O-R-S-I, that's my channel. I'm posting long decodes. Some of those discussions are from the CBTS, the Calm Before the Storm underscore stream board. And you can really hear the discussions. I mean, um, some of those posts I'm doing are an hour long. Dr. Jerome Corsi, thank you. My pleasure. I've been speaking with Dr. Jerome Corsi. Today's show has been FISAgate, Deep State Surveillance. Today's interview was from February 12, 2018. Jerome Corsi is an investigative journalist and was a senior staff writer for several conservative websites. He graduated magna cum laude in political science and economics from Case Western and received his doctorate in political science from Harvard University. His latest book is Killing the Deep State. He is currently the Washington, D.C. correspondent for InfoWars. Follow him on Twitter at Jerome.Corsi. That's J-E-R-O-M-E dot C-O-R-S-I. His YouTube channel is J-R-L Corsi. That's J-R-L Corsi. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaramako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at G&B Radio. Trying to steal your life You know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself 